Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the insurance specialists at BrightThink Wealth Strategies. Find the disability insurance coverage that fits you best right now. Email Robert Smith at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. The show is also made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. We'd also like to thank Helping Hands and OSA EMR for their support of the show. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7. Welcome to Beyond the Mask. I'm Jeremy Stanley, and I've been working with CRNAs for over 23 years, and I'm married to one. And my co-host is... Sharon Pierce. Sharon's a practicing CRNA for over 20 years, a past president of the ANA, the NCANA, and she's held many other leadership roles. As usual, our goal with every episode is to educate and enlighten CRNAs, and I think our topic today is definitely going to do that. And Sharon, what time is it? It's time to wake up, Jeremy. I think it is. Well, Sharon, the Windy City. Here we are. I know. It is windy. I it, just walked out windy. and my my name badge about hung me. <laughs> I know. I'm digging the weather, though, here at the ANA wow. Annual Congress. Much better than the hundreds we've seen at home oh, over the last couple God, of weeks. Oh, my God. It feels so good out it there. It does. It does. Well, we're excited to be here taping live again in Chicago at the ANA Annual Congress. best part. Yeah. And we have another guest that I think is very near and dear to your heart. It is. It's my brother by another mother. <laughs> I've heard you say like that on several say. occasions. Yeah, so. yeah. So we have with us today Mr. Jerry Hogan. Welcome, Jerry. Thanks. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. So you two uh, went to anesthesia school together at the, the Wake Forest Baptist program. We sure did. Just a few moons ago. Yeah, well, that was, yeah, well, like last week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it does feel like it was Sometimes last week, but we will both, we both know that in a couple of weeks, we will have 30 years. 30 years. 1992 wow. we graduated. Isn't that crazy? And it goes by. Just I, like that. You know, I was talking to one of my, my best friends from high school. We still keep in touch. And, you know, we don't talk like we used to, but. He was telling me the other day that um, him and his wife are going to have been married for 28 years. Mm-hmm. And I thought, 28 years? Are you that old? Because I'm not. <laughs> no, it, freaks, <laughs> it freaks you out. Well, you know, Jerry and his wife got married the same year that Pierce and I did. Oh. A week apart. A week apart. Wow. And our children were born the same years. Our oldest children were born wow. in 85 and our youngest were born in 87. That is crazy. Huh. You really are sort of intertwined yeah, in this yeah. universe, aren't you? We sure are. And <laughs> my husband, yep, yeah. my husband fell in love with his wife immediately. 
They like two peas in a pod, too. Yep, and they are still just like that. And That's her, awesome. her name is uttered in our home every single day. I, I wasn't sure where you were going with that. Well. So, <laughs> you know, I'm glad you clarified that for us. So. Uh, well, th- let me tell you why it's uttered in our house every single day. Because whenever Kim Hogan is drinking a little bit, she has a certain walk that she does when she's in high heels. Um. And Peanut... <laughs> has the same walk. Every time they see the dog walk, it reminds them of my wife. So I'm not sure how I'm supposed to take that. I'm not sure how to take that one either, to be honest. Kim loves it, though. But every day, whenever oh. Peanut's walking, we'll go, Kim Hogan. <laughs> nice to be known. Huh? It's spoken out of pure love, for oh. sure. All right, Jerry. Well, you, you wrote an article not too long ago. and uh, But before we get into that, we're going to talk about that today. We're going to be talking about moral injury and nursing anesthesiology but just real quick for our listeners who might not know your background and who you are just kind of introduce yourself tell us a little bit about you well uh, I am obviously a CRNA been for 30 years I am also a board certified psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner have worked in both arenas uh, doing some now uh, ketamine and some ketamine assisted psychotherapy uh, in addition to working as a CRNA uh, and then also teaching uh, at Florida State University in their nurse anesthesia program. Do Great. you know of another CRNA that's a psych? Yeah, there's MP? a couple. There's, there's a, a couple. couple. Nicole Rice. Okay. And um, there's a couple that are in school. I know um, Katie Walker. Okay. Finished her psych NP. So I, mine was just, uh, it was a, a really weird set of circumstances. I did two tours in Afghanistan in the Air Force. And at the end of my second tour, I saw the PTSD symptoms in myself. And I was able to at least realize the fact that I was, I was yeah, struggling. Who else saw? Hey, you did. And I, <laughs> that I was struggling. I was angry. I had a lot of, of, mm-hmm. of issues. Um, they mandated because of the suicide rate being as high as it was. And continues. Bold, and it sure. continues. Um, they mandated us to, to go to counseling. Mm. And so it was a civilian contract uh, licensed mental health counselor that I saw. And uh, I would go in and talk to her and I would come out of there more angry than when I went in because huh. everything was like, oh yeah, I hear that all the time. Oh yeah, oh. that's uh, that's not uncommon. So everything that I said kind of got trivialized. Right. And so then I thought, what am I bothering talking to? So I was, it was a waste of my time, a complete waste yeah. of my time. And then I said to myself, you know, I could do this better. So then I started mm-hmm. looking and I had my post uh, 9-11 GI Bill money. Couldn't give it to anybody. So I just said, well, you know, I might go back and use it myself use it myself. And so I did. So it took me three years to get the, uh, to, to finish the program. But, um, I went to, uh, Stony Brook university in on Long Island, uh, mm-hmm. state university, New York, Stony Brook. Um, Barbara sprung was the program director. She was amazing. She was probably one of the main reasons why, I mean, she was great and, and I learned so much there and, um, it was mostly all distance done by distance. We would go up there a couple times a year, but, and I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the program and learned a lot and, and able to use it. And yeah. it was before the ketamine craze. So it was kind of, I was sort of ahead of the curve on that. Right. One, but, but I just did it mainly because I just wanted to understand better why I was having so many issues and problems. And, and I honestly have worked through most of them. I, I, you know, but, but it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting and, and I like doing it. And, um, I, I like mixing the anesthesia and the psych NP role together in, you know, with ketamine infusions Mm -hmm. and with uh, ketamine assisted psychotherapy. And now the newest 
up and coming thing is the psychedelics. That's going to be a huge market in the next couple of years. Hmm. There are already people that are microdosing mushrooms, things, you know, that, really? oh yeah, for huh. depression. At, and, and Well, that'll make you feel better. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's another, that's another podcast uh, talking about psychedelics. Cause really you're going to see an, a huge increase in their use hmm. in probably the next five years or so. Well, they're saying the reason why we don't have any good music these days is because there's not enough psychedelics around. <laughs> I mean, think about the there 60s music yeah. and the early 70s. Great music. True. but you got what? into a different universe. Lucy in you? the Sky with Diamonds, LSD. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. you know. Uh, so interesting. Well, we're here today to talk about moral injury. And I got a little bit of this whenever I was in school at Yale. But why don't you tell our listeners about moral injury? So moral injury is a really interesting concept because a lot of times people get it confused with burnout and they get it confused with PTSD. So PTSD is more like an external threat. It's caused by external threats. Moral injury is kind of more like uh, situations that directly affect your moral compass and directly affect your idea of how things are being done. And and the way that affected CRNAs was that um, a lot of them moved out of their comfort zone, which is the operating room and into ICU scenarios and stuff during COVID. Um, and a lot of times there was withdrawal of care on patients who, mm. you know, were still alive. But, you know, when you're looking at a finite amount of resources, sometimes you just have to make that decision that there's nothing else that's going to help. You know, even though it's so, I mean, extubating people and then just sitting and watching them die co- kind of goes against. Right. Because we're yes. used to people being we, alive. We, we fix people. It's what yeah. we do. Yeah. And so um, it, it kind of falls along that military um like uh, after all the years I spent in the Air Force, we, we learned a lot about triage, right? Mm-hmm. And about how there is a, a classification called expectant, which means that they're not going to make it. And mm-hmm. so you don't waste your resources on those people because if you right. have a finite amount of resources, you're not going to spend them all on one person. You're going to you know, right. go for whoever has the best chance of. So we understand that in the military, we understand that concept. But I think civilians, they're just used to everything being done. You know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and when withdrawal of care would happen, because I mean, the ICU is full. Every ventilator is in use, and um, you have somebody that obviously is not going to make it. You say to yourself, "They can't do that. They can't like just you know pull Stop. the plug, yeah. right? You know." But um, and so there's a lot of of um, internal conflict that comes with that. It, it was originally um, described uh, with medics and first responders in the military in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. because of uh, them seeing situations. And that was really where moral injury so- sort of started its uh, beginnings of being, you know, classified as a different type of psychiatric issue or condition. And, and so you end up with people who um, disagree and they, with, uh, with the rationing of care. And, and it, it starts to affect them to the point where they really lose interest in being in the healthcare arena anymore. And I think it has contributed to the nursing shortage and the number of nurses who just don't feel like they can continue in the profession because of, you know, the issues they dealt with during COVID. Well, and I imagine, you know, part of this too is just the feeling of out of control because your moral compass says, I want to do this, but some other power, be it military, Mm -hmm. be it hospital administration, be it whoever says we can't do this. And 
you know, I know CRNA is well enough and I know you two both well enough to know that, you know, you're, you're both laid back type B personalities. You don't want anybody, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, you want to be in control and you want to do the things that you know you're trained to do. So I imagine that's got a lot to do with this. And if you, at your core, can't do what you're trained to do and help save people, that's got to weigh on you. And, and that's what, to me, this is about. And that's that very true. Um, you know, a lot of times the uh, symptoms of moral injury, things like shame, guilt, uh, disgust, like distrust in the administration and, mm-hmm. and, and you know, right. the, the higher ups of where you're at, uh, anger, um, anhedonia, which in um, psych is a, a lack of a desire for to do anything pleasurable. Right. Hmm. Um, and so. Uh, it starts to mimic some depressive symptoms. You know, you get some anxiety, some other uh, issues, and it can even lead to suicidal ideation in some people. And oh. so it, it, it is a serious issue, and it's something that, that we really haven't spent a lot of time looking at in healthcare workers, especially in CRNAs. It's been studied in first responders, but not a lot in CRNAs. What about that nurse who wound up killing herself, the one where she overdosed the baby with heparin or whatever? Right. So, that was, so she her name w- was Kim Hyatt, and she was in Seattle at right. Seattle Children's Hospital, and that was more of a um, second victim okay. syndrome kind but of thing. Could but could it yeah. also be classified mm-hmm. as moral injury? Because if, if I knew that I had caused someone's demise. That's uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. pretty injurious to my yeah. psyche. Oh, I absolutely. mean, we all go through that absolutely. in one way or another. So I don't know if I'm broadening something that's not not every there day. and maybe another classification. Well, I know every day that I work in the operating room, I... Um, you know, I, I'm always, I, I have a very healthy respect for anesthesia. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't, I'm not exactly. cavalier at all. I'm, I'm very vigilant and I am on my toes the whole time. And um, uh, sometimes like I work with one particular circulator fairly often in the, in the same room. And um, she's like, why don't you ever sit down? Everyone oh, no. else sits down. I don't down. sit either. <laughs> it's like, I can't sit down because if I feel like I'm sitting down, I'm not paying attention. Mm. But anyway, um, but yeah, the, the with her, um, so moral injury is different from second victim in that um, in moral injury, you're not directly responsible for what's happening. Things are happening that are outside of your control. So as opposed to second victim syndrome, which is more like it's something that was a direct result of your actions. Uh Mm -hmm. Um, And, and that's another whole interesting subject too, is second victim syndrome. It's um, it's more prevalent than you think. Oh, and I think that oh, um, I think it. I think it's because I know very if, privileged. if any CRNA ever yes. said to me that they've never made a, a medication error, I would probably say, yeah, right, right. How <laughs> yeah. many, how many times did have. you figure out you hadn't turned on the gas, right. and you're mm. like, oh my, yeah. uh, or oh, yeah. something like oh, yeah. that? We actually, my thing is flows. I always forget to turn down my flows. Yeah, I'll yeah, look over yeah. Like oh, ten same. minutes later, and it's still at nine liters. Yeah, same, <laughs> same, and and we've all we've all done it, but. Uh, you know, one year I was chairing the NCANA state meeting and we had Maria Van Pelt come in, not to digress to second victim, but she came in and um, did a whole session on second victim. And then I had, oh gosh, uh, another facilitator that came in and we broke everybody out into groups and had everybody 
work in groups and talk about things that had happened to them in the OR where they wow. were the second victim. People were crying everywhere. Oh, wow. oh, it gosh. was crazy. Um, I'll never forget Terry Wicks. Uh, his incident happened 35 years ago, and it was just like it was yesterday. Wow. wow. So, But I still think that there's, even though second victim I, I still think this could be connected to this moral injury thing but anyway they didn't ask me <laughs> <laughs> so it was interesting um shortly after the covid pandemic there was a uh Sawicki and and his group did a um questionnaire to uh, i don't know about thousands and thousands and thousands of nurses and found that um up to 90 percent of the current nursing workforce and this was like in March of 2022, so this is a recent, mm-hmm. uh, recently done, um, found that uh, almost that, that up to 90% of the nursing workforce is, was considering leaving the profession at some point. Oh, I remember wow. hearing about and, that. Um, and and wow. I, I just question whether or not this had, how much of an effect this had on that, you know, a, a moral injury was a, a player in that decision to, to not do it anymore. And, you know, it's, it's amazing to me that... Um, Nurses are such resilient people mm-hmm. anyway, and CRNAs. Um, the stuff that people did during the pandemic, you know, I mean, they were asked to do things that you would never imagine in a million years, but it's, um, I, th- I think that it catches up to you, though, you know, at least with some people. But um, I was fortunate in that during the pandemic, I didn't, uh, I wasn't doing a lot of clinical anesthesia. I was mostly teaching then, but I have a lot of friends that, you know, spend a lot of time working, taking care of critically ill people, and, and it, you know, it takes a toll. But again, uh, you know, I think a lot, a lot of CRNA care was still episodic. I think the bedside nurse is the one that really, really suffered mm-hmm. during this this pandemic. I don't know what your thoughts are about yeah, that. No, but I agree. I agree. You know, it was still. I can't remember the particular study, but several years ago. 80% of nurses would not encourage their daughters to become nurses. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow. That's crazy. It's a, it's, it's a tough profession. It's a tough profession. Well, it really is. I mean, it's, it's tough getting through it, and then it's tough being uh, you know, a nurse, and especially a bedside nurse. As a CRNA, you spend years preparing yourself for this career, so we don't want to see you lose out on any of the income you've worked so hard to earn. The best way to protect yourself and give you the confidence that a major life event won't disrupt your financial future is through disability insurance. We've known disability income specialist Robert Smith for many years and have seen the work he's done with nearly 2,000 CRNAs over multiple decades. He can help identify any gaps in your existing coverage and fill those gaps by finding the best value on a policy. Contact Robert and let him know you heard about him on our podcast. Send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Protect your greatest asset as a CRNA, yourself and your ability to earn a living by adding disability insurance to your financial plan. So Jerry, you know, if someone starts to feel this this strife, this moral injury, you know, what what do they do? I mean, what, do they diagnose themselves? Is this something that's widely known? Who do they talk to and what, you know, what happens with this? So a lot of the time it helps that they uh, they see someone and, and 
therapy, have a therapist that can help them to kind of sort through a lot of their things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, medication maybe, yes, could be, an, uh, you know, a thought. Uh, but I think for the most part, it's it's sorting through the, the trauma mm-hmm. and getting through that personal trauma to, to get better. Um, we're very fortunate as an organization. Um, I, I'm on the AANA Health and Wellness Committee, and mm-hmm. we have uh, so many resources for CRNAs out there. Uh, that that are available through AANA uh, that could help with these sorts of things. And then, um, yeah, a lot of times it's finding someone who can help you work through the trauma and, and the um, kind of moral disagreement that you have with the way things are being done. You know, sometimes for some people, it's a matter of moving on to a different area, doing something different um, for a while to, you know, uh, maybe recenter themselves. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, for the most part, most people come to grips with it, yeah. but it, it can be enough that can cause, they can start having some, um, mental health issues, uh, that kind of mirror depression, uh, mm-hmm. where they start, uh, dealing with, uh, issues of anxiety and, um, you know, maybe, uh, appetite issues and feelings of hopelessness and worthlessness, that sort of stuff. And then at that point in time, you know, maybe medication might be the answer, I'm not a hundred percent. America wants magic by mouth, right? They want, right. Oh, I like that. Give me a pill and and I'm fixed. Right. But but the thing about it is, is that um, in your life, there are certain stressors. Everybody has them. Everybody between their genetics and the way they were raised has a threshold. Right. And, and what happens is that when the stress goes above the threshold, then that's when symptoms start, right? Mm -hmm. You start having problems. Well, the only thing that the medication does is it just raises the threshold, but it doesn't change the problems, oh. right? Huh. So you can medically, medi- medication, gotcha. raise that threshold. And right. maybe it's enough to raise it above where your problems are and right. you start feeling better right. about things. But the way to work through it is therapy. It's like peanut butter and jelly to me. You know, it's like if you're going to take antidepressants, you need to have a therapist. Right. Because you got to sort through that stuff. You've got to be able to it's work your way true. through your problems, not just take a pill to You're masking mask the, problem. the problems. Gotcha. Yeah. And I think sense. moral injury probably fits in that same boat, that if it's to the point where the stress has exceeded that threshold and you need medication, therapy would probably be you know, just as effective to help. Well, the combination of the two is always more effective. No, and I'm just thinking, I don't, I don't know the answer to this, but let's say you had folks because COVID was an interesting animal and I've read, read up on this. I mean, COVID can kind of lower those thresholds from what I understand as well in certain instances. I mean, there's long-term effect to COVID. And, and I'm wondering if, if, you know, you had a CRNA or a nurse who might have gotten COVID who before their threshold was up here and now their threshold, you know, yeah. potentially is lowered a little bit. And uh, I know they don't know all this yet, but it, it, it seems to me that I've, I've read some stuff about that. Any... Do you know they anything have, about um, them? They have uh, actually long-haul COVID clinics in, in certain medical centers and larger hospitals and, and academic centers where they're just really beginning to understand what long-haul COVID's about. Hmm. There are people who, uh, like there was a guy that had tinnitus that was so bad after COVID that wouldn't go away that he ended up ending his life because he just mm. couldn't take it anymore. Oh, wow. And um, and then uh, my wife works with a nurse um, who had COVID early on 
and and a year or more after she recovered from it she still they can't explain why she's tachycardic all the time why why her heart rate i mean she if she gets up just to walk across the room her heart rate's 140 and she never had that problem before covid <laughs> and um you know and she, she starts having palpitations and stuff so then you say to yourself well that's kind of weird is that a long-term covid right. long-haul covid issue or whatever so yeah i think that you know, we really don't even understand a right. lot of the long-term effects of COVID. No. So, well, yeah. it's going to take us a while to understand the long-term effects. I would think on the healthcare providers. I mean, we're still in it. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. not people are not dying the way right. that they died. Right. In the and beginning, I think that, you know, I I had it a month ago, uh, six weeks probably ago. Um, mm-hmm. Went. Uh, was dumb i went to a a baseball game and the guy behind me was coughing it was an indoor stadium in Mm. st petersburg and um sure enough a couple days later i start with symptoms check myself positive but fortunately the paxlovid which is the Mm -hmm. um combo antiviral um had that uh right away from my my uh nurse practitioner that i get my primary care from and uh it was um i really was not anywhere near as bad as I thought it was going to be. It was more like just a cold, just mm-hmm. like having a cold. But, you know, um, I saw a lot of anxiety about it because, you know, I'm got comorbidities and things, you know, and worried about all that. But yeah, I think that it's the, 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 the footprint of COVID has changed a lot. I think that, you know, not as many people are dying, although still there was, I, I heard something the other day, it was about like three or 400 people a day still mm-hmm. dying from COVID. Mm. Um, but uh, I, I don't think it's as much with vaccinations and with the antivirals and things that are out there. Uh, but um, but still, there's you know a lot of people out there who's suffering with long term effects still. Mm. So and we're going to have healthcare workers with moral injury from it. Yeah, it's there. It's it's definitely out there. There are a lot of people that have a lot of issues with the way care was rationed and managed during COVID and you know, them making decisions with families to withdraw care before someone actually had expired. And, and just, you know, I mean, you know, it's like, can, you, can you imagine you do all this for someone you work, you're a nurse, you're a bedside nurse or a CRNA. You've spent 12 hours a day for how many days taking care of this person, trying to keep them. And the next thing you know, they're going to just extubate them, turn the monitor off and walk out of the room, you know, wow. or, or whatever, you know, right. Um, that you could imagine how that would affect you, especially if you felt that there was still more that could be done. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty much moral injury in a nutshell. Hmm. Hmm. And just, just not doing everything possible to save that person, right. you know, that has to weigh on you. And, you know, it, and, and it, it sounds, you know, it does sound very close to, like you said, PTSD, although for an internal reason instead of an external reason, um, which is, which is very interesting here. So, wow. So, you can raise the threshold with with antidepressants is what I heard you say earlier. So you can treat this, uh, but but you're really not. Well, you know, give me. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not anti antidepressants. Sure, I sure. Think they serve a, a purpose. Sure. And I think that a lot of people get great relief from them. My thing is is that I also encourage them to to see a therapist. And the, and the thing about therapy is rarely, if ever do you hit the nail on the head with the first therapist you visit? Because a lot of times it's a matter of you finding that person that you click with. Yeah. Sure. Right. And so what I hear from people all the time is I went, it was terrible. I'm not going back. And it's like, well, you just went to the, you know, you just didn't hit it off. You'd need to try right. somebody else. Got to kiss um, a lot of frogs, <laughs> you know? Right. And 
So, um, so no, medication can certainly help symptoms. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. So, so Jerry, I'm just, I'm just kind of sitting here thinking. So, if you're a CRNA, you're you're doing this case, or you're you're a nurse, whatever, in this scenario, and, and you know that you're being told to do something against your morals. Your, I mean, is could that person say, "Hey, I can't do this because it's against my moral code here. This is not something. If you want somebody else to do it, that's fine. Could they step away out of that situation? Is that acceptable, or you know, is that something that you could? I, I don't know. I mean, I'm just kind of thinking through this because I, I know if I'm in that situation, somebody said, "Hey, you need to shoot Sharon in the head right now." Um, I'd say, "Well, Pierce might, but I'm not." <laughs> um, yeah, no, you know, I'm, but yeah, you yeah. know what I'm saying. I mean, it yeah. would be. I would say no. Well, I, I couldn't do that. Let's think know? about this in another context because there are some people who have difficulty anesthetizing someone for an abortion let's say there you go yeah um and i you know i think within the community people shuffle that around and Mm -hmm. say okay i'm not okay with this right and will you do this case and i'll i'll give you an example i was asked to go do a c-section right after i went back to work at the hospital and we knew it was going to be a bad baby and Emma mm. had just died. And so I asked mm. another CRNA, I said, I'm, I'm just not ready. Not at the place. Not, not yeah, ready not to not see a yet. bad baby right now. Will you, do, will you go do this C-section for me and I'll take over your room? So I think CRNAs are really getting more attuned to that. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas used to even with second victim, if you had a bad outcome or a bad case, they'd be like, uh... You got two minutes. Go yeah. get your next yeah. get it case together and, go and, the and get them in the room. Right. But now, you know, I think CRNAs. We the the first level is awareness. They're they're right. becoming aware. Talking and more about it exactly. And so yeah. Jerry had a bad case. Um, I would come in and say, you know what, Jerry, why don't you just go ahead and go home today, and I'll finish yeah. up your room for you. Right. Whereas I do remember a bad case whenever you were a student where you had yeah. that aspiration, <laughs> and uh, uh, you were in the room doing the next case yep. after that yep. one. Yeah. Tell me, shake it off, like suck just it just up, keep yeah. it buttercup. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's the thing that I was just thinking. You know, the awareness side of it, and talking about it, and making the community aware that. You know what? This is an acceptable practice. That if it doesn't fit your moral, and Jerry, I don't know. Do you do you talk to students about these kind of things? Oh, so yeah. very good question. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think we're much more in tune with wellness for our students now than we mm-hmm. were, but we still got a long way to go. Yeah, we really do have a long yeah. way to go. I think that wellness activities, um, team building activities, that sort of stuff that we do with students, that was not something that was really even thought about when we were students. Right. I think it helps a lot. Um, I think it helps with uh, you know, and then being in tune with the fact that they're adult learners and they're with adult problems yeah. and um, adult issues and, you know, sometimes families and a lot of distractions. 
we, we were kind of not really given that opportunity to um, to pull that card and say, hey, listen, I have a family problem. I have an issue. My wife broke her arm in our senior year of anesthesia school, and I was going to quit because I needed to Work. obviously feed my family. Right. <laughs> um, and, and uh, you know, so things happen, you know, yeah. and, and so, yeah. but I think we're, and we're much better. And there are the resources on the health and wellness side in the ANA.com uh, website are, are pretty good. I mean, it's a lot of stuff there, you know, to help and a lot of um, information to help maybe work your way through some of the, the issues, but also uh, referrals, that sort of stuff that, that you can. And so I think we're better. I think we still got a long way to go when it comes to wellness of our members, because our, it's a very stressful situation absolutely well what you guys compartmentalize it yeah very well well. because you know i think if i had to go in and do what you guys did every day i don't think i could do it i mean you know maybe i could if i was trained but but i think about you know what you guys actually do it's so funny you know our staff at the office will call our clients or somebody and they'll pick up the phone and they're in the or and they'll go Karen or somebody will come back and go, oh my God, they were in the middle of a case. I could hear the machines beeping and they're talking to me on the phone. And I'm thinking, don't answer the phone. You've got to take care of it. I mean, because there's so much responsibility to that, you know, I mean. Well, maybe there's little doses, uh, micro dosing of uh, moral distress. And what I'm thinking about is whenever you're in the GI suite and you're doing a colonoscopy on a 96-year-old that you know darn good and well that nothing you're going to find in their cult. Number one, you're not going to fix it if you find it. Right. Yeah, no. <laughs> and, so why even put them so through it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and number two, what if you perform, then you've created a whole set of problems there. Mm-hmm. That So why are we doing this uh, in the beginning? So right. I think that there's... Um, what is it, Mike? It's micro, uh, you know, it's microaggressions if mm. it's little. So we're doing micro dosing of, of mm-hmm. moral injury because sometimes it is kind of hard to hold your tongue right. whenever you're standing there and there's and this the one place. something on someone who yeah. you know it's, yeah, it's not I, a good idea. I work at one, I've worked at one place and I swear to God, I've checked for a pulse on some of these people because I thought they were dead when they brought them in there and we're oh putting a, a peg to venom or something so i think we have these the we're slowly inoculated little by little with moral injury that we never address that hasn't hasn't done a case in their lifetime where they said what are we doing here oh uh, yes yes and we all have one in our head that we will never ever ever forget i I have one against your moral compass too so that you know you're right you might be micro dosing moral injury and not even realize it because yeah you know you're doing things for um people that you know is in your mind is not the right thing for that person well you know i had i didn't have a whole lot of interaction with covid because i was i was office based and we didn't work but even still once i went back to work in the hospital we went up to intubate some of these covid patients and we had one lady who was a no code and her daughters talked her into us intubating her and so you knew that wasn't the right thing and i knew it wasn't the right right. she died six days later Mm -hmm. and those last six days were awful days Mm -hmm. awful days just to think i I, to me it's thinking of all the people that died alone oh yeah Yeah. that's the hard part for me yeah yeah Yeah. Mm. well jerry is we kind of wrap this one up anything you want to conclude on or, or tell our listeners today 
No, just that um, to know that there are there's help out there and that there are resources out there if you um, are suffering with any issues of you know moral injury, PTSD, that sort of stuff that are COVID related. Um, that uh, I would encourage members to go to aana.com and look at the health and wellness uh, information that's there, referrals, that sort of thing if you need it, uh, numbers you can call uh, if you need help, and um, you know take care of yourself. That's one of the things that that we're not as good at doing as we should be. Yep. But taking care of ourselves is is really important because our mental health, you have to be in the right place mentally to do the right thing for people in Absolutely. the operating room. You can't be distracted. You can't be, um, you know, internally preoccupied with issues or problems because you're not, then you're not, you're doing your best for the people right. you're taking care of. Absolutely. Well, Jerry, thank you. Thank you for all your hard work you've, you've done for CRNAs and thank you for being on the show today. It's always a pleasure to see you and uh, Sharon. I think it's a wrap. I think so. Yeah. We want to tell our listeners, thank you for listening to us. Um, And if they want to help us grow, Sharon, how can they help us grow? Well, the number one way to help us grow is by leaving us a review, but making it positive. We all know there's enough negativity in this world. Absolutely. Tell all your friends, post it on social media that you love us. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we're in the top 50 medical podcasts in the country and we are on our way to number. Number one, just like we are in the CRNA community. We're the number one podcast in the CRNA community, and we want to be number one overall, don't we? Absolutely, but we just want to thank our listeners. We wouldn't be able to say these things if it wasn't for all of our listeners out there. We love you, too. Absolutely. All right, until next time. It's a wrap. Have you thought about what would happen if you weren't able to work for two or three years? You know, on average, 25% of people will file a disability claim, and most of us aren't prepared for that loss of income. Every CRNA needs to protect their biggest asset, yourself and your ability to earn with a disability insurance policy. We recommend contacting Robert Smith, a master disability insurance specialist with more than 30 years of experience and 1,800 CRNA clients to find the coverage that fits you best. The best way to do that is to send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. 
To learn more, visit osaemr.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.